0: have been in a series of talks that we are calling Buckets Not Balloons. Buckets Not Balloons. Really, uh, we've been diving into what does it mean for us to be an evangelistic people? like to, to see the kingdom of heaven, the story of Jesus, expand in front of us, in our families, on our campuses, in your workplace, wherever you find yourself? Like, what does it really mean for us to be an evangelistic people, to, to, to respond to Jesus' invitation that he gave us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples everywhere? Evangelism literally means to zealously advocate for a cause. And, and that's really what we want to do. We, we want to advocate for the cause of Christ, we want to zealously tell the story of Jesus. Why? Because it's changed us and it's the hope of the world. And so we want to go and make disciples everywhere. And it says in 1 Timothy 2 that if this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Jesus is the hope of the world. It's the heart of God for the whole world to hear the story of what Jesus has given us access to. There is one mediator between God and man, and his name is is Jesus, and so we want to go and make disciples everywhere, and we want to expand the kingdom of heaven in our day, and we want to see transformation happen in our lives so that they can happen around our lives, and we, we opened up this series by talking about the fact that we have been called to go, but we're to go saturated before we're sent. Right? We, we want to be saturated people that enter dry places and leave them saturated. Are you with me? So, so we don't want to walk up to people and create impromptu water balloon fights. Right, We're not trying to walk around and hurl truth at people. We want truth to get on us so that when saturated people encounter dry places, those dry places then become saturated. Right? Because if you're sent and not saturated, you dry up. If you're saturated and you're not sent, you blow up. So we want to be a saturated people that enter dry places and leave them saturated. That's why Matthew 28 says, Go and make disciples everywhere. And Acts 1 says, Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then go. We're supposed to go saturated, overflowing, filled to capacity so it spills off of us so that the gospel is on us as we're telling those around us about what Jesus has done in us. Am I talking to anybody? And last week we talked about this very true reality that's called the compassion gap. And ultimately what we talked about was that we all have a little bit of the spirit of religion inside of us. Religion is the temptation in all of us who walk with Jesus to begin to shrink our relationship down with him to a list of things we do and a list of things we don't. And the unfortunate reality of the compassion gap is that when we begin to live with a religious spirit, we are not expanding the kindness and the compassion that Jesus demonstrated when he walked on the earth to those who have not yet encountered who he is. And so we begin to be judgmental and hateful versus kind and compassionate. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? It's that compassionate kindness. So we want to be a people that are saturated as we are sent. We want to enter dry places and leave them saturated. And we want the boat wake of that saturation to be kind, compassion. We we want to be kind and compassionate. And what I really want to dive into this morning is, so what now? We talked a lot about what's supposed to happen in us. We talked a lot about what people are supposed to experience from us. But actually, how do we do this? Like, how does this actually work? How do we engage in conversations with people about Jesus? Like, how how do we zealously advocate for the cause of Christ? What's that practically look like? And and I'm, I'm going to, Chris. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now, actually. But before I tell you, I have a question for you. This is your first time at church. I want you to know something. We're interactive. This is a conversation. I talk for most of that conversation, but I want you to talk a little bit. It's kind of like hanging out with me in real life. Just to be keeping it 100 with you. Okay, so let me start with the question. How many of you guys would categorize yourself as people who force stuff? How many forcers are in the house? A couple honest people. Okay, I'm a forcer. Like, unapologetically, my tendency is to force things, okay? I am from a long line of forcers. I was discipled to be a forcer, okay? My dad was a forcer. My mom wouldn't even let my dad put stuff together in the house because when my dad went, went, would begin to build stuff and it started getting a little rough, it got a little complex, my dad then would get rough, right? And, and screws would come out the back of tables, Right. He just like just one more turn. I want to make sure that it's not going to come off and he would just force it. Right. And then the screw would shoot out the back. I was discipled on how to force things, how to make it fit. Anybody else come from a family of just make it fit? Right. If it didn't if it didn't slide in there, then force it in there. Right. I mean, you you got a box in a round hole. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I'm from a long line of forcers. I, my dad's dad was a forcer. I didn't, never met his dad's dad, but I'm sure that he was a forcer too. Forcing runs in our family. But truthfully, sometimes being a forcer doesn't have anything to do with like screwing screws to the back of a table. Sometimes being a forcer is about not waiting for help and forcing something to happen because you want it to happen right now. Right, And this was displayed in my life when Liz and I moved from California back to Texas. This was about five or six years ago. We're living in Waco, Texas. We bought a house, first house we've ever owned. It was a wonderful house. We loved it, but it was super dated. And so we spent the first month of owning that house kind of just bringing it up to date, right? Just painting every surface. We removed the popcorn ceiling. Now, here's the deal. i told you guys this before. I'm not super handy. I'm handy enough to get myself in trouble. Right. I, but I'm not the guy that like knows how to do things. I got to have a very bright, successful wingman. I got to have that. Right. I'm going to come with the passion. I'm going to come with the work ethic. But you just got to tell me what to do. All right. Because I don't necessarily know what to do. So my wingman in this project was a dude named Marty. Now, I just want to say, make a note. Anytime you need help on your house, find somebody named Marty. That's just a great name for, for somebody to help you fix your house Marty, you know what I'm saying? So Marty, he he actually grew up painting and doing all kinds of stuff. And so everything that we did, taking the popcorn ceiling off, fixing the sheetrock, all the different stuff that we did, he walked me through it step by step. And actually, for most of the time, he was literally next to me the entire time doing the work, but making me feel good about myself for being there. Now, if you've ever worked on a house or tried to improve something, there comes this part where it's not cool anymore. It's like not fun and exciting. You just want it to be done, right? You're like, "I'm okay, this is not, I'm tired of the mess. I'm tired of the paint. I'm tired of everything. Like, I just want it to be done. Well, the problem is, is that I hit that point right when Marty's work life super spiked. And so he wasn't really available to help me. And we just had a couple of things that were left, right? The biggest one was painting the kitchen cabinets. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried this. This is not an easy thing. And I was so over waiting for Marty that I just called him. I'm like, Marty, dude, just tell me how to do it. Like, I've been working with you, dog. We've been at this for like three weeks. I think I can make it happen. Like, I know how. It all works, and I know how the paint machine works and everything. Like, just walk me through it. He's like, all right, now this is different, though, dude, because you're going to have to prime them with oil-based paint. You haven't been doing that, all right? And, and I don't have the respirator to give you at this point. I'm still tracking that down. So if you do this without me, you're just going to have to wear like a normal dust mask. So what that means is that you're going to need to open all the windows. You need to turn on all the fans, and you need to only be in there for tops like 10 minutes. You need to, like, hit it and get out of there. And I'm like, Marty, I got this. So I force it, right? I make it happen. I I drove in with, like, full passion and, like, excitement. And I forgot to open the windows. And I forgot to turn fans on. And I'm sure that if you knew what you were doing, it would have been, like, a sub-10-minute job. But when you don't know what you're doing... It was longer than that. I don't know how long it was. All I do know is that I finished. And I begin to walk across the room to where the paint machine was to turn it off and start the cleaning process that Marty walked me through before I started forcing it. And I went down to turn the machine off and my hand went like this. All of a sudden, I'm losing all body control, and I can't stand up. I limp over to the door, fall face first into the backyard grass, fumble for my phone, don't know what is happening to me, and I call Liz. I'm like, Liz. (laughs) And she goes, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know she goes, are you crying? I'm like, I don't know. Am I? Am I crying? Liz, I think I'm stoned. And for the first time and the last time in my life, I got hot. And for the record, I didn't like it. I actually walked out of that going, I don't know why people like this. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. Like, I I was sick. Like, it was horrible. Like, I felt like trash for like three days, right? And in hindsight, looking back, I'm like, I probably should have waited for Marty. (laughs) Probably should have waited. Probably shouldn't have forced it. Because I want you to hear something. Forcing good things at the wrong time. Forcing good things at the wrong time can lead to undesired outcomes. Can I say that again? Forcing good things at the wrong time can lead to undesired outcomes. And my heart this morning is that we would disrupt the myth that being a person who is a zealous advocate of the cause of Christ has to be something that's forced. We don't have to force it. The the story of Jesus should not feel like we're hurling truth at people, like an impromptu water balloon fight, right? To be zealous advocates of the cause of Christ is not about forcing it. It's about shh. Can everybody say that with me? Say, don't force it. Just shh. Say it like you mean it. Say, don't force it. it. Just shh. You you don't sound convinced. Let's say it one more time. (laughs) Don't force it. it. Just shh. Let me help you understand what the shh is. You want to know what shh is? Jump with me to Luke 7. Let's learn about the shh. Luke 7, verse 11 it says, soon after Jesus went to a town called Nan, his disciples and a large crowd, everybody say large crowd, went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd, say large crowd. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So there was a large crowd with Jesus, and there's a large crowd with her. And when the Lord, when the Lord saw her, his heart sent, went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Jesus saw her. Can, can I just say that again? Jesus saw her. You ever wonder what Jesus saw? Like, why, why her? There was people everywhere. There was a large crowd of people with him. There was a large crowd of people with her. But Jesus saw her. He didn't just see everybody. He saw her. Because I want you to understand that Jesus didn't just force his message on people. We're going to walk through a lot of the scriptures today, and we're going to see that Jesus didn't force it. Jesus actually, sh- he saw hurting and hungry people, and he gave them hope. Were there other people in that crowd that were affected by this young man's death? Yes. Were there other tragedies represented in these large crowds? Yes. Did people surround Jesus because they wanted breakthrough? Yes. That's why they were there. But Jesus saw something in this woman that caused him to do something different for her than he did to everybody else in the crowd. Jesus didn't force his message. Jesus just, shh. He saw Hurting and hungry people and he gave them hope. Jesus didn't just engage everybody. He, he just didn't go throw the story of freedom out to everybody. He, he saw hurting and hungry people and he engaged the hurting and the hungry and he gave them hope. He didn't force it. He just, shh, look at this. Jesus sends out 72 of his followers in Luke 10. And he's sending them out to go and make disciples everywhere. And and as he's sending them out, this is what he tells them. Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you like lambs amongst wolves. And don't take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat with what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you're, excuse me, when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust. Of your town, we wipe off of our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is sending out some of his followers to go and make disciples everywhere, to be zealous advocates of the cause of Christ, to go and prepare the way for his coming to tell people that there is a hope and his name is Jesus, that there is freedom and his name is Jesus. There's salvation and his name is Jesus. And he gives them some very clear, very clear warnings and directions as they are to go. The first big one is this. He says, look, don't have a force it mindset. Because if you think that the kingdom of heaven only is advanced by us forcing square boxes into round holes, you need to understand something. That a force it mindset tells you that you need to believe that no one actually wants to hear your message. Therefore, you have to force them to listen. That's a force it mindset. A force it mindset is people don't want to hear it, so we have to force it. Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful. The issue is not people who want to hear the message. The issue actually is we don't have enough people telling people about the message. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The story of glory is being told and they just don't have word for it. God's working on their hearts and they don't even know what it is that's going on inside of them. And Jesus is like, I want you to go and see those who are hungry I want you to go find those who are hungry and hurting, and those are the people that I want you to give hope to. He's like, look, if you're not, if you're not accepted, if they don't want to hear your message, shake them off. <laughs> right? I mean, shake them off like haters. Be like, nah. Because look, Being a zealous advocate for the cause of Christ is not about convincing people. It's not about forcing people. It's about an invitation for people. And so if someone wants to fight you, yell at you, dust them off. I I am going to look for those who are hungry and those who are hurting, and I'm going to give them hope. Jesus is like, look, don't waste your time with people who are not hungry. It's not your job to convince them. Your job as a zealous advocate for someone who wants to give the cause of Christ to people is just to give them an invitation into what they don't know. It's not to convince them to believe what you believe. Don't force it, just shh. Don't force it, just shh. Look, we see this again in Luke 19, this little dude named Zacchaeus. You guys know Zacchaeus? Look, Zacchaeus, right? There was a large crowd. Luke 19, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. There's so many people around that he has to climb a tree. Jesus is walking into Jericho, and what does he see? He sees Zacchaeus. Does he not see everybody else? No, but what does he see in Zacchaeus? He sees somebody who's hungry and somebody who's hurting, and so he looks at him in verse 5 and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Don't force it. Just look, I got to be honest with you, man. I grew up in church. I grew up actually in a incredible church, a Jesus loving Bible preaching church. I look back on my upbringing with just nothing but gratitude and thanksgiving. But the truth is, we talked a lot about being the light. We didn't talk a whole lot about advocating the light. So this whole concept of being someone who was a zealous advocate of the cause of Christ was like not only terrifying, but it was just like foreign. Foreign. Because the only representation that I had of this idea of being a zealous advocate for the cause of Christ, going out and doing evangelism, were seeing people holding, like, really angry, forcing it banners up that just did not read, like, the gospel that I read. Or I'd see people, like, on the corner shouting at people, and I'd be like, if that is that, I don't want to do that. So, like, I just, like, put off evangelism, like... I don't do evangelism. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to try to be right, live right. But if if evangelism is holding up a banner that says mean things, if evangelism is standing on the corner and shouting at people saying they're going to burn in hell, I'm like, then I don't do it. (laughs) Like, not only do I feel like I didn't have the courage to do it, (laughs) like, it just didn't feel like the Jesus that had changed my life. But but, at the, but all the way growing up, I didn't have any other model of what evangelism was. And then when I went to college, I, I ran into a group of people, and it was the first time in my life where I saw people zealous, zealously advocating for the cause of Christ in a way that wasn't forcing it, but was just like, shh. And, and they would come, and they'd be like, man, I just had this opportunity to pray for this guy, and he he got healed and, and Jesus touched him powerfully and he's going to come to church on Sunday. And I'm like, what? You actually told someone about you're one of them? But I'm like, no, you don't feel like one of them. And it's like, yeah, dude, like, look, it's really simple. Like, don't force it. Just, shh. Like, just ask God to show you the people that are hurting and hungry and, and then give them hope. And, and I was like, All right, I'm going to try that. I'm just going to try it. And so every morning I started praying this like loaded prayer. God, would you allow me to see with your eyes those who are hurting and those who are hungry so that I might give them hope, that I might tell them the story of Jesus, what you've done for me and what he wants to do for them. And I was like, I'm ready. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't see anything. Nothing changed. I'm like, did I pray it wrong? Did I say something wrong? And then all of a sudden, one night, late at night, as you do when you're in college, grocery shopping at midnight, holla at your boy. There's no lines. I'm at the grocery store, and I'm in the checkout line, and there's only one line open, right, because it's midnight. And so everyone's in there. Every other college student in the town is there. And I just feel like this water balloon fall on my head. And the Holy Spirit's like, Hey JD, she's hungry. And I'm like, oh no. No, 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 no. Lord, if this cup can pass before me. Like And so I'm like letting people cut. You know what I mean? Like she's the cash register. I'm like, oh you got less than me. You go ahead. Like, yo, no, no, for real, for real. Like you just you go ahead, you go first and i just can't shake it the closer i get it's just like jd i want you to tell this woman that i love her i'm like oh my gosh i'm that guy now but i just couldn't shake it it's like every time i looked at her it's like it was like i was seeing not just her but i was able to like kind of tap into god's heart for her and i was just heavy man i was like ah so i get up there and just so awkward, I'm like, ma'am, this is gonna seem really crazy, but has anybody ever told you that Jesus loves you? She looks right back at me, and she's like, no. I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) No, you're not supposed to say that. I don't know what to do now. And she's like, no. And I was like, well, has anybody ever told you about Jesus? She's like, no. I was like, do you want to hear about Jesus? And she's like, yes. Now I'm like, oh, no. What am I supposed to do? Like, I've never done this before, you know? Like, I'm, what are you supposed to say? And so I was like, ma'am, first of all, wow. <laughs> uh I was like, actually, it's, it's kind of simple. It's like Jesus came and he lived on earth just like us. But somehow, because he was fully God and fully man, he didn't say yes to the things that we seem to not be able to say no to. So he was perfect. He was without sin. And he died on a cross for us because, you see, every bad thing that we've ever done, It separates us from God. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that was the final sacrifice. That that once he did that, now just by believing in him and confessing that he's God, we can be forgiven of our sin. And the punishment that our sin has created for us, we won't receive it. He'll receive it on our behalf And we can be saved. And she's like, awesome. It's like, what do you want? Do you want that? And she goes, Yeah. And with a long line at Walmart, I pray with this lady to receive Jesus. I remember walking out of Walmart, first of all, in awe at how badly I did that. I was like, there really is a God? Because if she got saved because of what I just presented, something else is going down. And it was like the Holy Spirit reminded me, look, it's not by wise and persuasive words. That's why a lot of the times the Bible doesn't even tell us what Jesus told people. Jesus went and just hung out of people's houses, then all of a sudden they changed. They sold everything, gave stuff to the poor, went and reconciled with their families. And we never know why, because we would make it some sort of religious do and don't. And it's not about that, right? Because that would create a gap. We'd start like following a rule system, like now I have to tell you this, and then this, and then this. And, and that's not it. It's about being saturated and going into dry places and then being saturated. That's what it is. It's not an impromptu water balloon fight. It's not like forcing truth on people. It's saying, shh, I want to see the hurting and the hungry, and I want to give them hope. That's all it is. To be a zealous advocate of the cause of Christ, to be an evangelist, is to walk around and to just say, shh, God, give me your eyes to see. Like, let me see what you see. And I want you to show me who who are the hungry people in my office? Who are the hurting people in my class? God, even as I'm just like living my life and going throughout my day, let me not just look past people. Give me eyes to see people. Give me those eyes that you had to be able to see large crowds of people surrounding you. But you were able to see the hurting and the hungry. And you gave them hope. And they wanted it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Look, the harvest is plentiful here in Austin. We just need to have eyes to see it. We're engaging with people every single day that are hurting and hungry. Look, just because you had an experience with being a zealous advocate of the cause of Christ and it felt like you were forcing it, don't let that shape your theology forever. Say, from this point forward, I'm not going to force it. I'm just going to shh. I'm going to see people and I'm going to look for the hungry and I'm going to look for the hurting and I'm going to give them hope. And And that's my challenge, honestly, for all of us. This morning, if this is your first time here, or if this is your hundredth time here, that all of us this week would take the sh- challenge. Like, I, I challenge you to every single morning wake up and just say, Shh. Just be like, Shh, God, give me eyes to see the hurting and the hungry so I can give them hope. God, give me, let me, give me eyes to see the hurting, and the hungry, so I can give them hope. God, saturate me so I can enter into dry places and close the compassion gap, that they would feel kindness from me. They would feel acceptance from me because they're hungry and, and, and they're, they're they're wanting, they're hurting. They want to hear your story. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that's why we want to give every single one of you some of these as you leave today. These are simple invitation cards because we are believing that every single one of us, us are going to have an encounter this week with somebody who is hungry and hurting and they need hope. And we're going to have eyes to see those people. And we want to say, look, we want to make it really easy. We want you just to go engage them and say, hey, look, I just couldn't help but look past you. I, and so I wanted to invite you to church. Here's an invitation. Like, we, we'd love to have you. And they're going to be like, look, I don't go to church. You're like, look, I don't even realize, I don't know why I still go. But, but it's Jesus, okay? Like, I had to get over all the people that were there too. I get it. But you've got to come meet this guy named Jesus, right? And and we're all going to zealously advocate for the cause of Christ by not forcing it, but just saying shh can you stand with me?